dear Father in heaven, glory be unto your name, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, please give us this day our daily bread, and we ask, Lord, that this bread shall strengthen and edify us. Grant us of your spirit, that as we fellowship with you, we may rightly divide the word of truth. I commit myself unto your care, dear Lord, and I also ask that you put your words in my mouth, that all your children who are listening may be edified and blessed by the words they will hear. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. God. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 8. It was not until the second year of Saul's reign that an attempt was made to subdue the Philistines. The first blow was struck by Jonathan the king's son who attacked and overcame their garrison at Geba. The Philistines, exasperated by this defeat, made ready for a speedy attack upon Israel. Saul now caused war to be proclaimed. Before the time appointed by the prophet had fully expired, he became impatient at the delay and allowed himself to be discouraged by the trying circumstances that surrounded him. The time for the proving of Saul had come. He was now to show whether or not he would depend on God and patiently wait according to his command, thus revealing himself as one whom God could trust in trying places as the ruler of his people, or whether he would be vacillating and unworthy of the sacred responsibility that had devolved upon him. In detaining Samuel, it was the purpose of God that the heart of Saul should be revealed, that others might know what he would do in an emergency. It was a trying position in which to be placed, but Saul did not obey orders. He felt that it would make no difference who approached God or in what way, and full of energy and self-complacency, he put himself forward into the sacred office. The Lord has his appointed agencies, and if these are not discerned and respected by those who are connected with his work, if men feel free to disregard God's requirements, they must not be kept in positions of trust. They would not listen to counsel, nor to the commands of God through his appointed agencies. Like Saul, they would rush into a work that was never appointed them, and the mistakes they would make in following their human judgment would place the Israel of God where their leader could not reveal himself to them. Amen. 
The title of our devotion for today is Running Ahead of God. And we have before us a story in which we can flesh out so many lessons. The first time I ever stumbled upon this story in the Bible about Saul, I had a misunderstanding of what was really taking place here because for me, I would say I had some kind of pity upon Saul and that was because I didn't understand the dynamics and every other thing that surrounded this story. If you just look at it on the surface, you would think that Saul was harshly dealt with but that's not the case and that's why we're going to rightly divide this story to understand the deep-seated selfishness, ambition and godlessness in the life of King Saul. So let us go into the story. First Samuel chapter 13 reading from verse 1. Before I read, I want to remind us that the people who were oppressing the children of Israel at this time were the Philistines. When Saul was ordained king, specifically he was told that he was the one to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of the Philistines and that he was going to fight that battle and deliver Israel. So he was selected for this purpose, one purpose in the mind, deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. We saw in yesterday's devotion how that the Lord ordained Saul and gave him a signal victory. He wrought a good victory with Saul. He honored him by defeating Nahash, the one who came from the land of the Ammonites to oppress the children of Israel. But that was just a, a victory, one of the victories the Lord gave to Saul. The major battle that Saul was supposed to fight was against the Philistines. Now that time has come and we will see how Saul handles this matter. Reading from the book of 1 Samuel 13 from verse 1 it says, Saul reigned one year. So have a very good picture of this. Only one year had passed. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 8,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. So picture it in your mind, 2,000 people with Saul at Michmash in Mount Bethel, and only 1,000 with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin, which is actually where Saul is from. He is from the tribe of Benjamin in Gibeah. Now going on in verse 3 says, And Jonathan, that's with his 1,000 of course, smote the garrison of the Philistines that way, or that was in Geba. So take note of that term, the garrison of the Philistines in Geba. Jonathan smote them. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard, saying, that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had in abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. Now take note of that place again, Gilgal. I'll take you back to it later. Going on in verse 5 now it says, And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. Listen to how many Philistines came to fight against 3,000 Israelites. Listen now it says, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude and they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth Haven. Now remember Saul is the one in Michmash while 
Jonathan is in Gibeah the, the, of the Benjamites. So look at all this immense army coming against 2,000 people with King Saul. Just the chariots alone has outnumbered them. 30,000 chariots. And if you know what chariots represent, just imagine chariots to look like airstrike of today. You cannot touch them because they are inside a chariot, not just horsemen now. They are driving with a horse, but they are protected inside something like a carriage. 30,000 of that. And then they had horsemen still. 6,000. The horsemen still outnumber the Israelites who were all footmen. And we will see what Israel was like. Footmen, 2,000 with King Saul. And then the people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. What an immense army came against Saul. Now reading from verse 6 it says, When the men of Israel saw that they were in a street, for the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. So they were running away like a rat out of a sinking ship. Their knees were knocking. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. Hmm, What a scene to behold. How do you expect Saul to take this? If I were the one, I would be afraid to say the truth, but not Saul. Now, to put this picture in perspective, let us understand what kind of people were with Saul. 2,000 men, and of these 2,000, a lot of them had already fled in fear. But then, even those who were with Saul, what were they like? What kind of men? You know, the Bible talks of men of valor, men of renown. But were these people like that? Let's read First Samuel 13 from verse 19. It says, Now, there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. Wow! No sword, no spear. So who had, what weapons were they going to use to fight? Only Saul and Jonathan had swords. But with Saul and Jonathan, his son, they were found. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Michmash. So this is the picture that you have here concerning the battle. They were outnumbered and they were outclassed in this battle. So what does Saul do? It says in 1 Samuel 13 from verse 8 that Saul tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. When did Samuel set this time? We'll look at that. But Samuel came not to Gilgal and the people were scattered from Saul. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass, as soon as he, made, he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him. Take note that he might salute him. He just came to greet Samuel. Verse 11, And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou, might, thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore, I, therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. 
would look at the reply of Sam, Samuel. Of course, Samuel disapproved of it and he told him he had done foolishly. But that's not the focus of our devotion for today. Why was Saul so eager to make this sacrifice and go to fight the Philistines? Why the impatience? Why the rush? Those are questions that should come to our mind. Also, ask ourselves this question. Why was Saul in Gilgal? Of all places, why was he in Gilgal? And what was he supposed to be doing there? At the time of Saul's appointment, he was told that before attacking his oppressors, the Philistines, he was to come to Gilgal, where he was supposed to wait seven days. And Samuel would come and make a sacrifice of a burnt offering to God, after which Samuel will also give him directions on what to do. This was what he was told two years ago. Reading now in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5, it says, After that, this was what Saul, Samuel told Saul, the day that he appointed Saul as king he told him these words after that thou shall come to the hill of god where is the garrison of the philistines and it shall come to pass when thou art come thither the city that thou shalt meet a company of prophets and coming down from the high place with the psaltery now going on in verse 8 he said to him and thou shalt go down before me to gilgal and behold i will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice of peace offerings seven days shall thou tarry till i come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do also remember that when saul was looking for samuel when his father's asses were lost he met some maidens who told him the following in first samuel 9 verse 12 and 13 he says and they answered him the maidens told saul he that is samuel they they told him he is before you make haste now for he came today to the city, for there is a sacrifice of the people today in the high place. As soon as you be come into the city, you shall straightway find him, that you will find Samuel, before he go up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he doth bless the sacrifice, and afterwards they eat that be bidden. Now therefore get you up, for about this time you shall find him. So. From here, Saul already understood how things were done at Gilgal. The people will not eat until Samuel comes because Samuel is the one who blesses the sacrifice. This was a sign of respect and reverence for God. No one is permitted to make the sacrifice and seek the face of God except the prophet or the priest of God. Also, when, Sam, when Saul had that victory against the Ammonites which we saw in yesterday's devotion, it was in Gilgal that they went to make a sacrifice to God. Samuel was the one who took them there and it was the usual thing that was done to make a sacrifice for God. Samuel was the one doing it being the prophet of God. I'll read it now in, in 1 Samuel chapter 11 verse 14 and 15. It says, Then Samuel said to the people, this was after they had conquered the Ammonites, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Now, in the knowledge of this, Saul was again in the same Gilgal waiting for Samuel to come and make the sacrifice and give him directions on what to do. Remember Samuel told him, wait seven days, two years ago. And it was the usual thing that was done. If Saul did not know he was supposed to wait, then there was no need to wait seven days. He should have just made the sacrifice on the first day. But he knew, so he waited. But the longer he waited, the more the people got afraid and ran from him and lost faith in him. 
the more he waited, the more his little army dwindled. His chances of overcoming his enemies, he felt, lay in the number of his army and he needed to do something to stop the people from running away from him. But he became impatient and offered the sacrifice himself, irritated at the delay of Samuel. Saul, in doing what he did by offering the sacrifice, looked lightly at the office of Samuel, the judge, and exalted himself to the position also. The things in our hearts will never be revealed until we become, until we are put in extreme conditions. Saul was in an extreme condition. He was supposed to be humble and troubled because of the number of his enemies, but he was so confident in himself, impatient to go and fight the Philistines. He was greatly and massively outnumbered, yet he was thinking that he alone was ready to fight and destroy them without counsel from Samuel and without seeking the face of the Lord. He felt he could do it anyway as Samuel could also do it. So where was Saul's confidence? It was in himself and not in God. He offered the sacrifice not because the people were losing faith in God, but because they were losing faith in him as their king. But why did God permit this delay of Samuel? It was for the very reason Saul was offended. God wanted the people to see the fertility of men trusting in men. But Saul actually wanted the people to trust in him and not in God. Reading from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 617, paragraph 3, it says, Day after day, Saul tarried, but without making decided efforts towards encouraging the people and inspiring confidence in God. Before the time appointed by the prophet and had fully expired, he became impatient at the delay and allowed himself to be discouraged by the trying circumstances. The work of seeking God by sacrifice was the most solemn and important work, and God required that his people should search their hearts and repent of their sins, that the offering might be made with acceptance before him, and that his blessing might attend their efforts to conquer the enemy. But Saul had grown restless, and the people, instead of trusting in God for help, were looking to the king whom they had chosen to lead them and direct them. Yet the Lord still cared for them and did not give them up to the disasters that would have come upon them if the frail arm of flesh had become their only support. He brought them into close places that they might be convicted of the folly of depending upon man and that they might turn to him as their only help. The time for the proving of Saul had come. He was now to show whether or not he would depend on God and patiently wait according to his command, thus revealing himself as one whom God could trust in trying places as the ruler of his people, or whether he would be vacillating and unworthy of the sacred responsibility that had devolved upon him. Would the king whom Israel had chosen listen to the ruler of all kings? Would he turn the attention of his faint-hearted soldiers to the one in whom is everlasting strength and deliverance? End of quote. But what did Saul do? He turned the eyes of the people away from God to himself by making that sacrifice. This was presumption on the part of Saul. What is the difference between presumption and faith? Faith acts on the word of God. We know the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, faith would only depend on the word. That is, by hearing the word of God, they will do what the word of God says, believing that since God has said I should do this, I will get what I want or get the victory. But what does presumption do? Presumption 
will not depend on God's word, but will do what they imagine, believing that when they have not heard from the word of God, they will still get what they want. But that's not faith. Saul presumed to offer the sacrifice without Samuel. And the very evidence of this is that he did it himself. Though he was neither a priest nor a prophet, as if because he was a king he is so excused to do anything. This was the same presumption which King Uzzah that paid dearly for. When we read the book of Second Chronicles 26 verse 16, he saw a king, we've studied about him before King Uzzah, he did the same thing and God struck him with leprosy. He despised the office of the prophet Samuel and determined to engage the Philistines without Samuel's directions, though he had promised to show him what he should do that Samuel promised him. What did Saul say? Because I saw that the people were scattered from me. So Samuel, Saul made this sacrifice not because he wanted to seek the face of God, but he did it because people were running away from him. And that he also said, And thou camest not within the days appointed. Here is where we come in our own lives. In a time where we have principle versus expediency. Principle versus urgency. The fact that there is an important thing to do, an important thing to accomplish, does that mean that we should wipe away principle? That is where what we are faced with in our lives on a daily basis. What a solemn and impressive condemnation we have here that Saul received from Samuel. He deserted principle to serve his own expediency, what he felt was important. I don't like to tell a lie some people will say, but if I had not told a lie, I would have lost my job or I would have lost this or that. I don't like common work on the Sabbath day. I don't like to go to weddings on Sabbath or to write exams on Sabbath. But if I didn't do it, I would not be able to get the job I have now. I don't think it is right to do to go to parties or on Sabbath or play games or watch football. But I was invited by this or that great person to this party or to this occasion. And I could not refuse it. You know, it was a graduation of my boss. I ought not to adulterate my goods. I don't, I don't like to cheat. I cannot also give false statements of their value. But everyone in my business does it. So I cannot be singular. I can't be different. It's what everybody does. What do these for vindications amount to? These justifications. It's just a confession that from the motives of our own expediency, God's commandments can be set aside. That is exactly what people are saying. And this is what we are faced with today. Will you, in the face of importance and expediency, feel that you can disregard God's commandments? Then you are like Saul. Many are doing it today. Thinking that the principles of God can be laid aside in emergency situations. That is what we are faced with. Principle versus emergency. Do we feel now, oh, it's an emergency? my biological clock is counting as a lady and I have to marry just anybody that comes my way because it is important for me that there's an emergency situation right now. Is that what we are supposed to do? The Lord places us in emergency situations to see what we will do and it's a fearful thing as I think about it. Will you drop your principles because of emergency? If you do that, then you have failed the test. Another thing we see about Saul which is so I would say bad for, to use a mild word, is that he justified himself. 
there's nothing worse than when we are corrected we justify ourselves it's better for us to just admit that we're sinful than to justify ourselves when he was charged with his disobedience he justified himself in what he had done and he gave no sign at all of repentance for it and this is something that Saul kept on doing it is not the sin that ruins us but it is sinning and not repenting falling and not getting up see what excuse that Saul made he would have he would have this act of disobedience to be overlooked why because it was an instance of emergency so I'm justified because it's an emergency and that's what people tell people today when they want to write exams on Sabbath it's an emergency so God will not hold it against you it's an emergency therefore you can sin against God you can lie you can cheat you can tell uh, commit adultery fornicate just do anything in cases of emergency God will not hold it against you you are justified and Saul justified himself the people were most of them scattered from him and he had no other way than to keep those with him that remained and to prevent them, them them from deserting him himself also if samuel neglected the public concerns that's what he was trying to say samuel you know if you are not concerned about the issues of israel me i'm very concerned so that's why i had to do the sacrifice and he said to look himself as a pious person he would want to think himself as a devout christian also in great care not to engage the philistines until he had prayed why didn't he go and fight the philistines without making the sacrifice but it was just to act as though he was also a pious person and that was why he made the sacrifice even he said that he forced himself and offered a burnt offering perhaps boasting that he had broken through his convictions that he was convicted to do this and he got the better of them or at least thinking that this would take away his fault that he didn't do it until he saw that there was no other way to do anything that's why he did it and he did it with reluctancy and the lesson is for us still that we shouldn't justify ourselves when we do wrong the other lesson we learn from here is something we have been looking at in other uh, parts of the word of god it is self-confidence versus self-distrust saul was so self-confident and self-sufficient that he didn't think it was worthwhile to stay for the prophet of the lord either to pray for him or to advise him he didn't need the old man's blessing in fact, if the blessing came along with the advice, the glory would not go to him as it would if he went on his own without Samuel's sacrifice and blessing. I can do it by myself. Pride was his problem. And it's the problem of many today who think that they don't need advice from God and that they can fare very well without his directions. This is that lack of self-distrust that every leader should be afraid of. This was Saul's offense and what aggravated Saul's offense was that he did not even send any messenger to Samuel to know what Samuel's mind was so that they would tell Samuel the case of the amount of the Philistines that was there and the expediency of the case so that Samuel would tell him, okay, since this is the case, maybe you have to go and fight, don't wait for me. He didn't ask. He acted based on his own imagination. He did not have the word of God for what he did. This presumption was the same problem with Israel when they were told firstly to go and possess Canaan and they rebelled but later after they were told not to go, they chose to go. They were killed and terribly defeated. Why? God never asked them to go where they went. Saul was never asked to make a sacrifice. Secondly, what aggravated Saul's crime was that when Samuel came, instead of admitting his fault, he boasted of what he had done. He went to salute Samuel as his fellow prophet and seemed pleased with the opportunity of 
that he had of letting Samuel know that he didn't need Samuel, that he had done it by himself, that he could do well enough without him. He went out to bless Samuel as it's as it's written. He went to salute him. That is the blessing there. Thinking of himself an equal priest as Samuel, empowered to bless as Samuel was also empowered to bless sacrifices. That was another thing that aggravated his crime to think that he was in the same position as Samuel. Then also another thing that aggravated his crime is that he, he charged Samuel with not keeping his word. That is, you came not within the days appointed. Therefore, if anything was amiss, Samuel, you are the one to blame. Because God, you said you were going to come in seven days and you didn't come. But it was just as he was doing the sacrifice that Samuel came. That, it was, that means it was within time. That is how we do today. We have our own seven days waiting for the Lord Jesus to come. The scoffers of the latter days think that the promise of Christ's coming is broken because he does not come in their own time, though it is certain that he will come at the set time. They then force themselves to do things that are not for them to do, eating and drinking with the drunken. Their language is like Saul. You didn't come at the set time. My Lord, the Lord is coming. Many have waited their seven days and have become impatient of waiting. And because of this, they go into sin. We should learn the lesson from this story of King Saul. And we have not finished it. We will look at it more as we go into our devotion. Let us not think that expediency is an excuse for breaking the commandments of God. And after doing that, then to justify ourselves and say we have not done any wrong. Let us learn the lesson of confidence in God and distrust of self. Let us not go into places and offices that the Lord has not asked us to step into. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 tells us now all these things happened unto them for examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Brothers and sisters, learn the lesson. Do not say that it's an emergency and that's why you disobeyed God. I married the unbeliever because it's an emergency. I've waited. I'm 50 years old now. I'm 40 years old now. I'm 30 years old now. I cannot wait for the man and the children of God. I cannot wait for the daughter of God. I have to marry because it's an emergency situation i have to lie i have to cheat i have to break the sabbath because it's an emergency that was exactly what saul did let us be careful let us pray dear father in heaven thank you for the warnings that you've given to us today and i pray lord that if we have made mistakes in this in doing this same thing that saul did in the past that you forgive us and help us to make a change in our life and not to justify ourselves thank you lord for hearing our prayers and thank you for answering in jesus name i've prayed amen Thank you.